Hello, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Here we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether you find the message to be uplifting or challenging, comforting or even unsettling, we hope it'll help you grow in faith and your relationship with God. Thank you for listening. To God be the glory. Good morning. The first reading is a reading from Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. Am I a God who is only close at hand, says the Lord? No, I am far away at the same time. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth, says the Lord? I have heard these prophets say, listen to the dream I had from God last night. And then they proceed to tell lies in my name. How long will this go on? If they are prophets, they are prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. By telling these false dreams, they are trying to get my people to forget me, just as their ancestors did by worshiping the idols of Baal. Let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between straw and grain. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? Here ends the first reading. The second reading is a reading from Hebrews, the 11th chapter. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weaknesses were turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Here ends the reading. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. 
Our gospel lesson today comes from the 12th chapter of Luke. I have come to set the world on fire. I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I'm under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I've come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me, two against. Two in favor, or three against. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, When you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower, and you're right. When the south wind blows, you say, today is going to be a scorcher, and it is. You fools, you know how to interpret the weather, signs of earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. Here ends our reading. You may be seated. You guys should have known what was coming. There was a sword and fire right on the bulletin. Woof! When I read a passage like this at the uh, beginning of the week as I'm preparing this message, um, the first thing I think about is a lot of times when we read this, you know, not in this service, but in other ones, we say, the, um, uh, this is the word of the Lord, and everyone goes, thanks be to God. And I always wonder, how are they going to say thanks be to God after this one? Thanks be to God? I guess. Division and strife. Fire, right? That's great. Um, That's a hard one. I remember being a kid when I'd hear this one or hear something like this. I'd always look up with kind of just this anticipation. Is the pastor sweating right now? What are they going to say? Because every week before this, it seems all we talk about is working together. About how the gospel will fill us with hope, that it unites us in, in service and in love. And then here's this fly in the ointment. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm bringing fire and it's going to burn away all the nonsense you think connects you. And, oh, you're just going to hate it. I'm like, oof. But you know what? It shouldn't surprise me because the gospel does have a way, at least throughout history, of sometimes dividing people. You only need to look at how many different churches there are, different denominations, right? People who really love this story are so convicted sometimes by it that they can no longer abide being around people who don't think the same way as they do. A a good idea would be let's just split this table in two. You take one half, I'll take the other. We'll build completely different buildings, worship the same God, same kind of ideas, but, you know, a little different. I just don't want to see you anymore. And we survive. And it's all out of what? interpretation how we understand what this jesus message is all about there's lots of ways to interpret it but i don't know if that's exactly what jesus is getting at in terms of what this gospel is going to do i don't think he's talking about the church or big groups of communities he's speaking about something very specific and something that does alarm us he's talking about families households relations right the kind of social order that all of us rely on, the kind of thing we all have or are lucky to have that starts from our birth where we spend our days with these people, the people we share our lives with, the people who form us, the people who teach us, the people who show us how the world works, the people who teach us how to love, what love is for better or for worse. We learn all these things from our family. It provides this sort of certainty a bedrock system in place that would create at least an understanding of who we are, of a stable society. 
And Jesus is saying that thing is going to be disrupted, perhaps destroyed irreparably by what I'm bringing. And when he says this, he's so surprised how no one would notice how his message is going to do this. And I would ask, what's so divisive about what Jesus is doing, saying, teaching that would dissolve a home, a family? What is something Jesus brought, Jesus does, that he's ushering in that could divide a family, turn parent against child? I would argue that Jesus isn't trying to upset a tight-knit family unit for dividing's sake. Something else, though, is happening. Something else that unites us that we may not realize but becomes clear through closer inspection is perhaps one of the greatest unifiers and motivators in human history. It creates a sense of unity. This thing often can create a feeling of harmony or peace. It feels like peace. It feels like unity. It feels like harmony. Jesus is going to upset this thing that feels like a unifier, that makes us feel like us. And he's going to dismantle the concept of them. Us and them. Them, the other. Them, the enemy. Them, the strange. Them, the not us, for sure. Them, perhaps the insufferable. Them, perhaps the unclean. Them, the weird. Them, the enemy. Do we need examples of them? (laughs) I mean, there are many of them. There are harmless ones. Any Bengals fans around here? Um, If I were to say, who are they? Who's that team? Who they, right? That's your thing. Um, Who are they that the Bengals, you really hope the Bengals really smear them? Who are they? Who's them? Someone said Steelers. Yep, I've learned that too. I've learned there is no team unless you have a rival. You have somebody you just, ugh. I remember uh, when I grew up, uh, the same division, uh, Tampa Bay was in the same division as the Packers, and it was the Battle of the Bays. Ooh, I did not like the Packers then. They're out of the division. I could care less now. Now it's the Falcons. Boo. You know, you're, you're not that. Another a harmless one, right? Homecoming week, right? In high schools. Who's they? The week of homecoming. It was formerly your neighbors to the north, south, east, or west, but now it's them, and we're going to beat them. We're going to beat them in our homecoming game. Them can also be really not that bad at all. I mean, them could also be, if you're a parent, who are they when you're just trying to get everyone to bed so you can finally have a moment's peace in your household? Who are they? They're your children. You love them, but they are they right now. It's us versus them. You're going to bed. Them. Our opponents. Who are we? We're us. Who are they? They're the opponents. And Jesus at getting at this kind of thing that divides us. I think all of us know the type of things that can divide us, even a family. Religion, politics, broken relations, a death in the family, a tragedy, a trauma. So many things could break trust, break a sense of unity. And sometimes those divisions can feel so common that we start feeling that maybe there isn't an us anymore feels like those divisions are perhaps too great or too deep to mend. And we know that a house divided is the worst possible thing. There's no more love. There's no trust. It's just conflict. And a lot of people say, get this, a lot of people say we live in a highly divided nation. 
Can you believe it? Yes, you can. Yes. Lots of people say that. It's not the first time, too, that I've heard this. I've heard this a couple times throughout my life, and I'm probably going to hear it again. When in the midst of a society being frustrated or angry, they look back, when were we together? When were we united? And they espouse an idea that I hope we're not very serious about. But they say, you know what might bring us together? What honestly has done it in the past is a good war. You've heard this idea, right? Where we seem so utterly divided that we don't feel like us anymore losing connection, there is that thing that could bring us back together. And it's identifying a new them. Not just a them like who is not us, but a them that is dangerous. A them that is loathsome, inhuman, or despicable, or strange, or weird, or beyond reasoning. In fact, they're so beyond restoration. They are such a them. They are so not us that even us We can all agree they need to be them and we need to be us and that needs to be dealt with effectively. Perhaps for safety or preservation. They must be stopped. And we, us, must win. And then we can get to the bottom of what's dividing us and realize it's really nothing at all. In doing so together, we would unite under a banner of opposition to them. We could work together. And we'd remind ourselves that there aren't really many differences between us, especially not when they are there. We'll not focus on our differences, we'll focus on their differences. And after our victory, after we make widows and orphans and countless lives are lost, we'll remember proudly that we are us and they are them. And we won, they lost. And finally, we'll break bread together again, us. Winners. I hope that sounds very unsettling. It's very unsettling. It's a global catastrophic example, one we actually know plays out throughout history. Wars do wonders in creating unity and patriotism, a love for one another, basically focusing on our difference from them. We all agree that's not the peace Jesus is hoping for, right? Because it sounds like unity, but it isn't. Sounds like peace, but it's the opposite. Obviously, Jesus isn't interested in us defining ourselves as disciples of Christ by how we spend all our time and energy trying to bring down and destroy others who think differently. We don't sing that hymn, they know we are Christians by how we really hate sinners. We know. No! <laughs> they know we are Christians by our... Wow, oh, you guys! You're so good at this. Yes! That's what they know us by. So I have to say this to any and, a, to any and all of us, to myself. If there is someone, something, some group, some other in your life that you are just wholly convinced is at the heart of most, if not all, of the problems in this world that are making us not us anymore. If you think it's them that's keeping us from being united, and by united I mean thinking the same way you do, If you think it's a them, call it Trump, call it Obama, call it Clinton, call it McConnell, call it gun-obsessed loners, call it bleeding hearts, whatever you want to call it, I'm telling you, Jesus wants you to know that is no banner to unite under. Our opposition to another. Jesus' hope for us was never that we'd unite in a shared 
distrust, distaste, dislike, hatred of someone, some other. Jesus' plan in walking to that cross, a symbol of the despicable notion that we can perpetrate enough violence to finally have peace, is that we would unite under a new banner. In fact, change this meaning entirely. A banner of self-sacrificial love. Y'all knew the words. It's love. Unmerited favor towards your neighbors. That's grace. Looking at your neighbor and perceiving them with eyes that are generous. That think the most generous things about them and giving them so much of your love and grace. Unmerited favor. He literally changed the meaning of the cross. He fixed a symbol of violence for peace into a symbol of self-giving love that promises there will come a day when there are no more crosses. No one will have to die naked and ashamed in order to appease the anger of a mob that can never be honest about what's really at conflict between them. And Jesus is acutely aware of what that change of allegiance will do. When Jesus destroys the concept of them, he knows it's going to cause a lot of division amongst us. He knows it. Because it'll mean we're going to have to be honest with ourselves. Honest about our own feelings of wrath towards one another. Honest about our own feelings of anger, distrust, and betrayal to one another. I mean, that's what the cross is, right? It's a mirror a glimpse of what is and what could be. And under this symbol, we live united when we are united in a life and death like His. That's quite literally the language of our baptism. Dying daily to our own selfish desires and instead pursuing what is good for us. And by us, I mean all of us. Jesus didn't just die for the twelve. He died for us too. He didn't just offer this cup to you. It was offered to you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. What we're united under is Christ. And when we are united in Christ, we stand in the hot places of our culture places of turmoil and discord and division. And we say, God, don't consume them. Consume me and make me an instrument of your peace. Let your flames purify my heart. Let your zeal burn away all that separates me from my brothers and sisters and help me live like you. Help me to love like you, uniting in a declaration that God must change us. Us. Change me. Mend me. And create in me a new heart. A new heart. And renew with your zeal for love and mercy, that same right spirit in me. Amen.
Thanks again for listening to this week's message from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Please browse our website for other opportunities to grow in faith or serve the Lord. If you are able to worship with us at any time, we would be most honored by your presence.